2: Morris Bristinsky speaking here. You're listening to Love That Album podcast, episode number 44. My thanks to you for uh, joining us. Hope that uh, you'll enjoy this episode. And we're going to be doing things, well, a little bit differently this time. Normally, I have a guest host in with me to discuss one particular album, but I'm not having a a guest host as such. Uh, I've got an interview lined up for you and I'm really, really happy to be able to present this to you. About a week ago, I got to speak to great Australian singer-songwriters and musicians Deborah Conway and Willie Ziggia. Now, if you've been a fan of Australian pop music since the 80s onwards, then uh, the name Deborah Conway will be no mystery to you. She originally started out, or at least came to popular renown. Via the group Do Re Mi, and they had this big hit "Man Overboard," which to this day is possibly the only top forty song that has the words "penis envy" in it. And uh, after they uh, split, she went and recorded some fine solo albums, starting out with "String of Pearls" and "Bitch Epic." And of late, though, she's been releasing albums with her husband Willie Zigia independently. Uh, Willie Zigier is a guitarist of the highest order. They've recorded a number of albums together they started their collaboration as far back as the 80s with Bitch Epic but uh, they only started recording albums under both names from uh, Town, which I think was about 2004 then Half Man Half Woman which came out maybe about two three years ago and now this year's album Stories of Ghosts which for me even at this early stage of 2013 is Sitting very likely to be my album of the year. It'll take some doing to make me change my mind on that. This album is songwriting and performing of the highest order. The thought that's gone into the lyrics and the melodic composition is just absolutely astounding. If you're a fan of the music of, say, Gillian Welsh or Lucinda Williams, then this will certainly appeal to you. The album is thematically their exploration of their Jewish roots but from an atheistic perspective and I know that some people have gone and said to me that sounds like a contradiction in terms but really it's not and in fact in some ways I almost sort of find their their self-declared atheism to be really irrelevant to how these songs are shaped and but really anyone doesn't matter you know atheist Believer, anyone can really enjoy what this album has to offer there are songs of grief, there are songs of disappointment, there are songs of hope and really it doesn't matter what you believe or if you believe, anyone can relate to those themes and I'm really pleased to see that it appears to be doing quite well, It's being quite heavily promoted in uh, the local media, on the ABC and in the newspapers, they seem to be getting good numbers, attending their gigs and promotion of the album and there's no doubt in my mind that this excitement that's, uh, that's following about uh, the release of this album is well deserved so it was really quite a thrill for me to have both Deborah and Willie come into the Love That Album studios to talk about what went on with the songwriting and recording for this album. I really hope that if you've not heard them before that you'll come out of this interview uh, a convert and uh, we'll go and search out a copy of this album. If you live in Australia then it's easy enough to go buy from your local CD shop if you're still into the physical medium. If not if you live overseas or if you live even in Australia but prefer to do the download version then it's on itunes stories of ghosts as i said is the name of the album so i should also say that later on in the show we'll be having eric reanimator uh in to talk about a favorite album his in an album that i love segment uh the galactic cowboys and their album from i've forgotten the uh, machine fish and so that's a bit of another first for this show, for Love That Album, is we don't normally have heavy metal discussed on uh, this program, but uh, Eric has gone and done it, and it's even thematically related in a way to stories of ghosts, and uh, I never knew that a heavy metal band could have the Beatles as an influence, but there you go. There you have it. Uh, It's happened in the Galactic Cowboys, so uh, later on in the show, we'll be hearing Eric talk about them. After the break, we'll go straight to the interview that I conducted with Deborah and Willie. I really hope you enjoy it. I will make one more thing I wanted to mention about, uh, and that is I was using a pair of microphones and a mixer for this, which I normally don't do for uh, the recording of the podcast. I just go and speak into a little cheap headset. Seems to do the trick, but I wanted to set things up to look a little bit professional. And unfortunately, I don't think I set the mixer up very well, so there might be a little bit of problem with the audio, but please persist. You can still hear it quite well. And uh, what Deborah and Willie have to say about the recording of this fantastic album is well worth your while to uh, to hear. And um, yeah, I had a really great time with it, and I think maybe even they enjoyed talking about uh, the album with me. So anyway, we'll just go to a quick break, and then we'll return to speak to Deborah Conway and Willie Ziggier to talk about their album "Stories of Ghosts." So you're listening to Love That Album. Run,
0: GGTMC run, live run, 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 run. for you. Fresh, yeah! Big Willie and the Samurai are at your service, breaking films down and turning them around. Giving recommendations that are always on point. Visit ggtmc.com for more information. The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, bringing class to the trash since 1977.
2: I'm really, really very excited to be having here at Love That Album Studios the performing, songwriting duo of Deborah Conway and Willie Ziggia here. They're discussing for this episode their latest album called Stories of Ghosts. Thanks very much for being here.
3: Thanks so for having us.
2: Your your new album, Stories of Ghosts, it's, I guess, the word, besides the obvious sense of the lyrics, it is a very Jewish album. A lot of scholarly debate. There seems to be all sorts of themes that you're sort of running through here. You've publicly stated that it's an unbeliever's perspective on the Torah and the themes that it inspires, and yet it still sort of seems like a world away from something like XTC's Dear God, which is, you don't exist, but... If you do your rubbish and, um, or even something, you know, maybe like, uh, Randy Newman's God song, which is a good, to me, a good sight cleverer than that and maybe a little bit more melodic. But what inspired the two of you to do a whole album of songs or an album that predominantly sort of talks about Jewish themes or just themes about belief, disappointment, hope, the whole
4: thing? Well, well. Uh, first of all, I'd say you know, it, it, yeah, it's it's a song. Of, it's a sort of it's an album of um, exploration as opposed to just trying to you know, tear down something. And I know, and that's much more interesting for me anyway. I mean, you know, why bother to tear it down? Lots of people tear this stuff down, but, mm. but you know, but what's more kind of inspiring than just um, promoting atheism um, is finding those connections between what you know, what is an ancient book. And ancient stories and the modern context and modern practice, and I think that's that's where our dissection occurs. You know, that's the area that we're interested in. And I guess that that has transpired because both of us grew up in Jewish homes. My Jewish uh, upbringing was in an observant Jewish house. Uh, I'll let Willie talk about his, but um, for me. I was able to grow up in an observant Jewish home without ever really having to do anything, have anything to do with God. So it it doesn't. It actually sits very comfortably with me to um, to be able to understand my Jewishness in the context of a cultural perspective and in the context of thousands of years of, of collective memory and and able to define myself as Jewish in that way without actually venturing into the area of. I, but I believe in God and, and God is an, an almighty monotheistic power yeah. created all of the universe. but I think the, you know this is what the question of the record because
3: both of us feel Jewish, which is an interesting thing in itself. You know, you, you're brought up in a, a secular society and we're in a reasonably you know secular world, the music business. I don't think people talk about their beliefs or their religion much. Musicians tend to be a cynical bunch, really, yes. cynical questioning bunch. But I think both Deborah and I feel Jewish, and we're trying to define what that means. Mm-hmm. So I think this record is an exploration of that, too, of, of how can you feel this thing when you're an unbeliever.
4: It's and sometimes I think, oh, I was going to expand on that, but sometimes the thing that um, that makes you feel uh in one way or another is not just the positive aspects of that but the negative aspects as well. So, in a sense, um, <clears throat> as the world becomes um, increasingly anti Semitic, uh, so one tends to identify more as Jewish rather than less. I think that's actually been quite a, a large factor in our rediscovery of our, well, you know, or our, our exploration of our Jewish roots.
2: As long as you actually sort of bring that topic up of anti Semitism or skip to a question that i was going to ask a little bit later when i first discovered the album i saw well oh, new deborah conway really Ziggy album right let's have a bit of a look and always like to look through the lyrics and the first thing i opened up the book was to the song too loud and i you know, just read through a couple of lines and then about three or four lines and thought oh i know what this is about <laughs> for, for those of you out there who haven't had the good fortune to listen to the album yet this is deborah taking on the persona of an anti-semite and making a whole bunch of obviously ridiculous statements, but also I like the the contrast. You know, you're uh, somewhere late in the song. You're singing, you know, you're a left wing commie and you're a right wing neocon, and you know they can't make up their mind. And obviously, it seems quite absurd. I've got to ask, was it cathartic writing the song? What pro- was there a specific incident that made you want to write that particular song, or was it just through observance of um, a, a world? That seems to be becoming more and more anti-Semitic. No,
4: no, not, not a particular incident, but you know, but increasingly, it's um, it has become very obvious that uh, along with, the, uh, its anti-Israel campaign and, and the constant barrage of criticism that Israel is under, far more than than other than other countries for their human rights records, that that is sort of tipped over into a general anti-Semitism, and it's you know once again fairly fashionable to become to to hate. Um, Israel to hate Jews to hate um, anything that is even is, is best, what is perceived to be faintly tainted and and it makes me angry, really angry, you know. So um, yeah, it was a sort of cathartic process to, to actually just string all of these craps together and to to just make apparent how nonsensical they are,
2: but to sing it very seriously. What, was it was it a was it a quick song to write?
4: Yeah, it was actually a pretty quick it came spilling out. <laughs> yes.
5: Pushy, too smart, too brash. You're a schemer, you're a plotter You deserve what you get Pack your bags again
1: It's time to move on You're not welcome, friend You're gone, gone You're the headline, you're the
5: subtext You're the re-
1: I'll
2: sort of come. Uh, this this will make like a, a nice segue. I guess one of the songs that you have written on on uh, the album is a, a tune called "Outside of Zion," and you've gone and stated in the notes that you made available on your website that this went through sixteen different rewrites. I present that sixteen different rewrites of the lyrics was the melody pretty much in.
3: <laughs> yeah, the mel- the melody stayed the same. <laughs> we, we had a tune and uh, we were trying to write a song to it, but outside of Zion itself, didn't get sixteen versions of that
1: thing.
2: See, that that's what I sort of imagined it was. But
3: uh, what happened was that uh, it was sixteen different songs, and each set of lyric lyrics um, seemed inadequate.
2: So what were you? what were you going for? I mean, because the the final version of the song deals with, I mean, okay, on on the surface, and an obvious thing, Moses not being able to get into, uh, into the promised land, and the disappointment, he's done everything that has been asked of him, but here we are, we're being left outside of Zion. I mean, there's a wider theme of, you know, we live our lives, we do what we think is right, and life throws up these disappointments. Was this like a theme that you wanted to explore right from the outset, and you ended up with a whole bunch of lyrics that didn't convey that.
4: I think what happens is when you're, when you're writing a song, what you want to get is the perfect marriage between lyric and melody and, and to create um, an atmosphere that's kind of, it's larger than the sum of the parts. So there has to be that absolute hand-in-glove fit. Otherwise, there's something awkward about it. And I think that we just took us that long to find that hand-in-glove fit. It's. It was close. You know, we were close at all of the the various um, moments that we were that we were writing these these different there lyrics. There weren't
3: sixteen awful songs. <laughs> a, yeah,
4: yeah.
2: So so are we going to see maybe you know uh, the light of day where we have um, uh, an album of Outside of Zion, <laughs> Out of Zion Outside yeah. of Zion, the Rock Opera. You know? <laughs>
4: So for for us, we really wanted to be tough on ourselves with this record. We really wanted to be as tough as we could possibly be, and we just um, we went, we we tried very hard not to have anything on the album that we weren't absolutely one hundred and ten percent committed to. And I guess that's what drives this this um, seeking for perfection, which is perhaps in some way the inspiration for the song itself.
2: The album's opener, Writings on the Wall." The first half is about you, uh, Well, as I understood, was about you throwing off the shackles you've gone of of, uh, religious belief or certainty, as you put it in the song. You know, you mentioned, uh, or at least the the lyric, the character in the song mentions the disappointment from not getting the love of God after having thrown a prayer. You know, this is a fair exchange. You know, I, I give a prayer, you give me you give me some sort of consolation or whatever it might be. Is the writing on the wall only obvious in retrospect? I mean, when we if we throw a prayer out, are we waiting a lifetime for it or do we, do we more and more in this day and age have less need for full-on religious belief because we're not getting something? We're told if you live this particular type of life, the rewards will be there for you.
4: I think the character in the song is actually not um, asking for... The character in the song is kind of is, has been deal making with God, and is disappointed to find, you know, probably a recent deal uh, that um, the, the part of the bargain that they thought God was bringing to the table has been has been sadly neglected. And uh, uh, it's not it's not necessarily love of God, but just love per se in their life. Yes, a, a loving partner, perhaps, or whatever that might be. But um, I mean, it's interesting you interpret it that way, but I mean, I, I sort of see that song as kind of as someone living their life in in a kind of the most venal sense. And the writings on the wall is, I think, only apparent after the fact. It's always clearer in retrospect, in you know, hindsight. Twenty twenty vision and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I'm not sure that that anyone. Well, it, it, it tends to be other people that see the writing on the wall for you, <laughs> point you in that. To, Look, see, there you are. <laughs> you know, it's all going downhill fast if you continue on on this direction. It's 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 the rare event that you can actually perceive that you're going along in the wrong way um, before you uh, before you a bad end. But um, yeah, I, I think it's. It's a good phrase, and that I, that I wanted to that, that it comes up in conversation a lot, and um, and the fact that it has this uh, very ancient meaning, right. such a very literal meaning, was something that I, I found intriguing. of of an artefact from that period, apparently written in, can you remember? Is it an ancient -hmm. ancient, um, Aramaic text? Mm Was it in Aramaic? Persian. Persian. (laughs) Anyway, no, I think it might have been Persian, actually, because they had some... So there was hard evidence that the disembodied hand, but of the particular event um, that, that... from a different perspective. So not only was it in the Torah... But it was on this artifact, this stone artifact, that was dug
2: up. I was that was going to be my next question. Where, where yeah, had, was it? Found? Find,
4: you could find this TED Talk online too, because it's really fascinating. Actually.
2: If if you have it at could you send me well, send yeah. me in a message? You Thank you. Probably point. To you. Thank and you. I, I, you
4: know, highly diverting twenty minutes of, of, uh, of material on this thing. So you know, I was kind of I, it, it was just a fascinating kind of exploration, and I suppose the the expectations that one sets oneself up for, is what that song is about, and when they're not met, yes. and how and how do you allocate blame to someone else, for,
2: or not. Which, I guess, is a theme on quite a few songs of, of the album, in a way, about that disappointment and things not being met. Because of uh, the nature of this record, and I guess indeed a lot of your records being So lyrically strong, but this one with this theme running through it, it would be all too easy to just sort of focus on that. But the thing that made me fall in love with the album so much, like once I'd gone and read through the lyrics and I took the album home, was how uh, melodically strong it was and how great the arrangements were. Also, like listening to The Book of Life and seeing you guys perform it live. I almost got a sense of Gillian Welsh, David Rawlings, you know that that which you know not through anything else, but just maybe maybe because of the Dobro that you were playing. How how much of a process is it for you? Well, I mean, is it you Willie really predominantly writing the music, or Deborah, are you writing the music, or no, arranging? Mix things up.
3: We do mix things up,
2: but it's yeah, it's probably
3: more time on the musical end, and Deborah's on the lyrical.
2: And. and does Deborah sort of say to you, right? Well, this is. These are the lyrics or this is the mood I wish to convey and you write something that's sympathetic or do you write the music and you come up with some lyrics that'll go um, along with it?
4: Yeah, both ways. Sometimes it's a title, sometimes it's a it's a set of chords that Willie's been playing around with, sometimes it's a melody. Sometimes I say, I really want to write a song about this.
3: You know, if it starts from the lyric, I think it's easier to write actually than the other way around. And if it starts from the music, it's harder to
4: Lyric, music generally the rule is that music is easy and lyrics are hard.
2: Well, if you're going to come up, if you're going to come up with something true. that you're truly happy with, and we're, we we yeah. all can probably name ten thousand songs that have got a great melody but not a lyric worth
4: interpreting yeah, the or reading. So. Lyrics, are, lyrics are something that you can really, really sweat over, and it can take it can actually take years. Mm. Really seriously. I mean, I'm not mucking around when I say years. Some yes. of these songs have taken years you know not obviously 24/7 you just they just keep churning around and you know they right and and keep coming back and you yeah, know and some of them are give the
5: a voice to all the mournful souls in search to be reborn to give us like the sharpest knife for oh God, inscribe me in the book of life I've been hungry since before the dawn Everybody's empty, but it's not for food And everybody's praying here to be rescued Examining our sins, it's hard not to conclude We're screwed The world's in flames, these maddened days of black and white No shades of grey to keep at bay the darkest night There's never been a song that could say
2: I remember reading an article uh, that Paul Simon had gone and written many years ago in um, a book called Making Music that George Martin had gone and compiled. He asked a whole bunch of musicians and recording engineers and uh, songwriters to write a chapter about their craft, what they did and what their approach was it. And Paul Simon's chapter was fascinating because it wasn't just like, oh yeah, I sit around and I wait for something to come to me. He went into really solid detail. He looked at it I guess maybe like the Brill Building people had gone and done. It was a job for him. He came in nine to five. Never mind the fact that he's come up that he came up with these lyrics which seem so completely inspired, but it was the story is, you know far more straight ahead. You know, he was just he was someone who spent every day, so I wake up Seven in the morning, make sure my mind is sharp, and I have a nice pencil and a lovely writing board. And he went into such great detail. He gave two examples. One was, I think, a song about the moon uh, on the Hearts and Bones album, and I'm struggling to remember what the other one was. But it seems to me from... Okay, so you've had a couple of songs there that you mentioned that sort of came fairly quick, but like something coming back to Outside of Zion. Was that something that you said, right, I'm reserving time every day for until I get this right? Was it like you know, got up nine in the morning or whatever time that you felt best
4: to do it at? Oh, absolutely. When we sit down to write a record... Yeah, um, we do reserve time. We reserve time. Yeah. yeah. You have to. And, it's, and it is absolutely business-like and you have to sit there and you have to write stuff. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's good, but... And it can take a really, very long time and you can be very, very frustrated. Mm. <laughs> but
3: and you yeah. might bring some ideas that have struck you showering or walking. Bring to this time of work, so inspiration
4: does strike as well. But, but that's but, our design. Was, was you know with the song we were writing on half man half woman as, well. as well. So that's wow. a fact. Yeah. Not only
3: writing, we recorded.
4: We did record it
3: too. With a different mood. Yeah.
2: Is it because that's one of the albums that I don't have? So, so did you call it? What, what did you call it for that? Or was it or was so it's just Oh, oh so I didn't end up on that, right?
4: And and also um, third time down, same story. Recorded that for
2: Half Man, half Woman with a different lyric. That's right.
4: Um, and, uh, and we it. So but yeah, that's but absolutely it's it's, it's completely business like. It's completely this is our period, this is these are our months of, of writing we're not going um, there's no head up until we um, until we finish writing. However many songs. And I think these days, I actually judge um, how successful I've been by the amount of stuff I've gotten rid of. Right. Interestingly. just uh, too And there is a lot of stuff that we've rid of for this record. So I think that, was, that must mean that it was very successful.
2: I think you might have said on 774 that you had like about 30 songs or something oh, like that. Yeah. Wow, that's uh, quite a, a, quite a culling stuff. process.
4: We wrote a lot of stuff. And we've gotten rid of, we we recorded data, 30, but we finish writing, talking about half uh, right but um, yeah so I think that's also we were very very clear in the
3: end about what the record should be thematically and there were songs
4: that just didn't fit it was important to be consistent we really wanted to make it have a very strong mood from beginning to end
2: it seems to me that you also touched upon maybe I'm guessing maybe you started having the genesis of the thoughts of doing something like this as far back as Summertown on the song Stay on Track it seems like there's this approach to God in a more general way. You know, I want a God who pays attention, sits in the sky, and writes it down. And in the song "Here and Now," fifteen billion years of stardust or Genesis, whatever turns you on. So obviously, this is something that's been on um, on your mind for uh, for a oh, long while. Been Was it
4: a while? Well, I think it's something I've always been interested. in. I mean, religion is you know one of the uh, and, and and you know Judeo-Christian. Christianity is one of the great driving forces of Western civilization. So, you know, to not be interested in it would be to deny yourself an enormous wedge of, of material and, and cultural uh, information. Um, so, you know, so it is something I've always been interested in. And I think that when I was very young, I thought to myself that one day when I was older, I would be much more interested in it. I think that time is now. Uh, and, you yeah, little did I know at that point that I would be a um, singer-songwriter and, and putting in the time to do it that way, but. Uh, it, it's fascinating. It's it's poetry. I mean, and the stories are a, full of metaphor and, and lessons and all of those things, and, you know, it, people dedicate entire lives to it, and, uh, you know, we've just, you know, dedicated a little while, so. Yes, <laughs> and it, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's
5: it's I want a road running through my memory. Need white lines and big clear signs say, do not cross, they say, slow down. Who pays attention Sits in the sky And writes Sit down And says Don't cry now He says It's not time Stay on track Stay on track Stay on track And don't look back It's over here
2: Sort of preempted another question that I was going to answer because I mean, where I came into your music, I get you know, a lot of people who I knew, you know, I said, I'm going to be speaking to Deborah Conway, Willie Ziggy, and they said, Man overboard, Do Me, great. And I remember seeing you as a support for Joe Jackson with Do Me, but where I really started to take interest was, um, when I saw you on another Joe Jackson tour, just I think before String of Pearls had come out. So i was going to sort of you know, say did it is this the only time in your life that you could have done an album like this you know could you not have done it at the time of string of pearls because you you said your interest has come
4: i think that's right actually absolutely i think this is something that um, has grown with um, maturity and uh, and i just wasn't i wasn't interested in exploring it back then i am interested in exploring it now i should also say to you that um, on half band half Woman, we have a, a track on the beast and that was the last song that was written for that record, and that actually uses lines from the Hugger Okay. So it's a, lot, it's a It's an eight-minute song. It's a rant, and, um, and I think that more than anything on Summer even though there's, you know, you're cool. Sometimes I sit, I'm sitting there and, or standing there and I'm playing music, and I'm thinking, oh, people must be evangelical, God, or something, <laughs> singing all these words. But, but, um, yeah, so that, that song on, uh, on Half Man, Half Woman absolutely pointed the way towards um, taking this stuff seriously and, uh, and having a, a, very, a much more meaningful
2: exploration. I'm going to go back, change tack a whole lot and sort of go back to, well, what you stated in Facebook only in the last week or so, what was your first songwriting collaboration, which, funnily enough, is my favourite of all your songs, which is now that we're apart. I, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for a Beatlesque. Song and yeah, you know, this had the Ringo drums and it had that backwards sounding string section. So, it, but it, in hindsight, there's that writings on the wall thing again. It seemed a bit strange that your first collaboration would be a song about the aftermath of breaking up. Did you just sort of like the idea of well,
4: putting... there for that. <laughs> yes,
2: absolutely.
4: absolutely, there are reasons. Why do you think we got together?
2: <laughs> so, oh, so you're bringing Willie in to do your dirty work for her <laughs>
4: Oh well. <laughs> no, I broke up with my boyfriend, and he broke up with his girlfriend. We didn't swap.
2: Did they? Did they feel threatened after that, song? I
4: don't, <laughs> I don't think either was really. <laughs> we didn't think about it, no. but, but it was. It was sort of. It was a thing that was uppermost in both of our minds. Right. And you know, well. I never thought about how how that thing was a song our first collaboration together was a song about breaking up until you said to be us the other day, that was my favourite song and we we worked back and said, mm-hmm. you yeah, know, that was our first collaboration. Mm-hmm. And then I thought to myself, That was our first collaboration yeah. and it was about breaking <laughs> up
2: <laughs> There you go, you got yeah. you got some banter the next time you perform it live.
5: Look outside the sky
2: time to time, will write on religious themes is Paul Kelly. You know, I heard songs like you know, God Told Me To, God's Hotel, which admittedly is a Nick Cave lyric, but still that he performed it, and Glory Be To God. Have you ever had any theological discussions with Paul?
4: Paul well, Paul's definitely
2: an AC. Oh, I, I, I'm aware of that. <laughs> but yet, the, but, I mean, to be from absolutely... A serious
4: Catholic family. Yeah, from a serious Catholic
2: But yet, it, 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 was still, it was still for quite a while before I sort of, Worked that out because you know, like you know, things like "Glory Be to God" and "God's Hotel" made me think. Well, you know, maybe he doesn't live his life as a religious person, but you know, maybe he had some religious affiliation. And yet, you know, as you've gone and already stated in your own work, you find it still a very interesting avenue to explore. It's not just for rejecting, but it's still. And, and an avenue for exploration because it's too big, it's part of a lot of people's lives, whether they reject it or accept it, so it's worth exploring poetically.
4: so much um, artistic endeavour throughout, you know, throughout the centuries for so many artists, so you know, it would be, as I said, it would be willfully obdurate to not to not explore it but uh, Paul, Paul's experience is, is really different to mine, I mean he would have grown up and have, uh, a Catholic believing in God, at least up until a certain that was, I guess that was the expectation of, in their family. His, his uncle was a priest, his sister was a nun. Uh, it just would have been, you know, that would have been the norm. Whereas in my family, the norm was that you, know, you were able to be Jewish without believing in God, and no one in particular did, even though we went to synagogue and fooled you know, But So for me, it hasn't really, I, I, I imagine that his would have been more of an epiphany. He's, I mean, I'm not going to put words in his mouth. But if you've grown up in some way believing in God and then you've decided that you don't believe in God you know, anymore, that, that's more there's, there's something happening there. Whereas for me, that was never, that was never the case. I mean, yeah. You can talk about your experience. You know,
3: even if uh, God comes nowhere into it, the poetry of religion is so profound and speaks to people. I don't know, I don't know how many people really do believe in God, religious people. I don't know if they know what God is. They might talk about it, but I don't know that anyone, you know, s- some people want to believe in a God on a very simple level. Maybe they manage to convince themselves of that. But I think the more profound thought on God really does not know what God is, doesn't understand what God is, and only, and religion. Is an attempt to explain to, it to, yeah, to come at some meaning in the universe, yeah, personal yeah. meaning.
2: Woody, Woody Allen's made a career
4: yeah. of it. Kind of <laughs> many people have. Some kind of God is a great explanation, you know, because you should be and there's a reason. You, you, you can't know it, but there is. Whatever. whatever. Even if it's
3: the reason you give to your own life, you still live in this inexplicable universe. So, um, God is the metaphor
6: for that. Everybody's got a room In God's hotel Everybody's got a room In God's Hotel You'll never see a sign on the door saying No vacancies here anymore Everybody's got a room In God's Hotel Everybody got wings In God's Hotel Everybody got wings in God's hotel You'll never see a sign hanging on the door Saying at no time may both feet leave the floor Everybody got wings in God's hotel
2: A couple of songs on the album are my absolute favourites and I take it in some ways they're maybe the most personal. They seem to me both thematically linked as songs sung to ghosts in both cases, you know, how the loss of uh, someone has affected those who remain, which I've always maintained, you know, Kaddish is not a prayer for the dead, it's a prayer for the living. How hard was it for you to write a song like I Used to Know You?
4: Um, it, was, it wasn't It was hard to write in the sense that it... Um... It actually flowed. Beautifully. Although uh, I think initially maybe it was so raw that we um, that I had to change a part about writing writing that that song and write something else entirely and actually yes. lived myself at the garden times for quite a while before I came back to find the song. No, actually what I to. Mean, so. Uh but I think it's easy to write songs that make you feel genuine that to have real meaning. And if they've got a truth for yourself, then that is a much easier song to write, and ultimately it conveys itself to other people in a more truthful and a more meaningful way. Hopefully, hopefully.
2: It seemed it seemed to me like a, a really raw song, and what I liked about it musically was it, it sort of had a bit of a Tom Waits feel, especially with you know those few uh, discordant chords and that last. That last uh, piano chord on, on anyone else's record, I would have thought, oh, there's a boo-boo, they've made a mistake. But reading through your notes on the website, it, it, it convinced me. Oh no, this is very deliberate, but very beautiful. And that's when I start thinking, ah, it seems so. Tom Waits is he something of an influence on on your oh, music writing? It's right? been yeah. amazing, music. yeah, absolutely. We both love
3: Tom Waits. Uh, I think the dissonance was important in that song. So it was a reflection upon a life and uh, there's happy sounds in there and there's very disturbed sounds in there.
2: It's it's beautifully restrained.
3: Yeah, just subtle. So the music was also, I guess, making commentary.
5: like an- i mm-hmm.
2: much it's been absolutely my pleasure to be able to speak to the both of you um i've heard a lot of uh, you do quite a fair few interviews like on the abc and the like and it seems like there's been a hell of a lot of interest in the record so i wish you you much continued success over your year of touring and sell lots of copies of it and if you're if you're out there if you're in australia you know your local cd store yes they still exist get it and if you live overseas Get it on it, it's on iTunes, is it? Or yeah, anything, come to our
4: website and purchase it. We'll post it anyway. Good, 2
2: We're <laughs> All right, anyway, we'll be back in a moment. Uh, and you'll hear another segment from Eric Reanimator. Uh, and uh, we'll be back to finish off the show in a few minutes. You're listening to love that All album. All
5: that's left is hollow. You don't care about tomorrow because nothing tastes
1: the same. Shit!
0: Up. I want two, I want two
2: key four. Now it's time for an album I love with Eric Reanimator.
1: i love a one, two, three Eric the Reanimator
7: here this time to talk about something we don't really talk about on love that album some heavy metal this time around i'm going to be talking about the galactic cowboys 1996 album machine fish this is a favorite album of mine for a lot of reasons i was a major major galactic cowboys fan in the mid 90s they were the baby brother band to king's x who i've spoken about previously and there's actually a third band in the trifecta or Trinity, if you will, the Atomic Opera. Each of them purveying a similar take on melodic hard rock. And the Galactic Cowboys specifically have something that should be of interest to Love That Album listeners in that, aside from the obvious heavy metal influences, they were also highly influenced by the Beatles and used a lot of four-part harmonies throughout their career. And also bass player Monty Calvin, was the cousin of one dd ramone and you can definitely hear the ramones as long with the beatles in the sound of the galactic cowboys formed in 1989 out of the ashes of a band called the awful truth the galactic cowboys first were signed to geffen records where their debut album was recorded and ready to go only the label was waiting to release guns and roses use your illusions one and two And of course, by the time that happened, all anybody at Geffen cared about was a little band from Seattle called Nirvana. Galactic Cowboys are the band that Nirvana effectively shut out of a major label career. Which is too bad, because in a lot of ways, they were a bridge between the popular metal of the late 80s and the popular thrash metal of the early 90s. People often forget that alongside the ascent of Nirvana, there was the ascent of thrash metal with Metallica, Anthrax, and other bands of that ilk. Finding commercial success... Another reason that I picked the Galactic Cowboys for this episode is that underpinning a lot of their music is their struggle with faith. And I know that Morris has talked about an album that deals with faith and religious belief this episode. And I wanted to add an album to the uh, list that also deals with the other side, which is people of faith struggling with what they believe and what their lives mean. I've blethered on far too long now, so let's take a listen to some of the music. Music itself is a resurrection story as the band had been dropped by Geffen after two records and were about ready to break up when the head of Metal Blade Records found out and immediately flew to Texas to sign them because they were one of his favorite bands. Along with their original guitarist bowed out so they had to soldier on with a new member and Machine Fish was definitely a lot more straight ahead thrashy and simpler than their Previous records and the records that followed tended to also fall away from that early fire and energy. Shortly after the Machine Fish album came out, there was an EP called Feel the Rage that included uh, live versions of a couple of songs, also a cover of I Want You by Kiss that was supposed to be on that big Kiss tribute in the mid '90s, and a cover of the song Junior's Farm by the band Wings. So as always, I'm going to leave you with a bit of my favorite song from the record. This is a song called The Lens. And I'll catch you on the flip side.
2: My thanks go to Eric for yet another great album that I love, Segment. He'll be back on the next episode, but not doing an album that I love, Segment. I'll tell you in a couple of moments exactly what it is that he will be doing. Um, I'm really looking forward to uh, the next episode. Uh, but anyway, uh, my thanks once again to Deborah Conway and Willie Zigia for taking the time to come into Love That Album Studios. They're both very busy. Promoting the album, uh, Stories of Ghosts, doing a lot of gigs. They've uh, done some uh, television performances, and uh, I'm really very flattered and very honored that they took the time to uh, come and have a chat with me uh, for your enjoyment. And hopefully, you guys out there uh, got a lot out of that conversation. I know I certainly did. And uh, once again, if you want to pick up Stories of Ghosts, it's easily available in uh, the better CD stores in Australia, uh, maybe available on some import stores uh, in other parts of the world, as Deborah said, if you go to their website, then she'll um, happily send you uh, a copy uh, of the physical medium overseas, or if you just like the download thing, then it's available on iTunes. All right, as I like to do at the end of an episode, I like to give a shout out to a lot of the other great podcasts out there that I enjoy to listen to and have been big supporters of Love That Album. And uh, I'm certainly a fan of theirs too. So let's go through the list. We've got Paleo Cinema and The Martian Drive-In Podcast, both hosted by Terry Frost. And I'm pretty happy that in uh, the next few weeks, Terry Frost uh, will be a guest on Love That Album. It's uh, taken a while to tee this one up because musically, we're not always necessarily in the same ballpark, but we've we've found something, sort of. We're going to do a bit of a film-related discussion, but it's something in the pop milieu so uh more details about that as we get closer to hand so uh yep paleo cinema martian drive-in podcast silver and gold with dr zom and Pickaloaf and uh who's not been a guest on love that album as yet but uh he will be on the show in a few weeks talking uh some tom waits with me and uh that'll be a show to listen to for it's i'm surprised it's taken this long for me to get to uh to get to talking about Tom Waits and certainly surprised that it's taken me this long to uh, talk to The Loaf. I've talked with Dr. Zom three times for this program so it's about time we had The Loaf on the program. The GG TMC, Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, whose promo you heard earlier on in the show with Sammy and Will and I'm going to see what I can do to get them to come and talk on the program. They've both said you know they're a little bit nervous to talk about music and I said well you know just talk about music the same way you talk about film you know what you like and what you don't like about it and Really, not that hard. Uh, uh, Better in the Dark with Thomas DJ and Derek Ferguson. The List Film po- Actually, it's not called The List Film Podcast anymore. I keep making that mistake. It's just called The Film Podcast with uh, Jenny, Ricardo, Adam, and Kevin. Uh, Talk Without Rhythm. Uh, film Rave with Justin Oberhalter. Uh, in the musical side of things, The List Music Podcast with Ricardo, VK, Jenny, and Juan. Uh, sitting at a bar in Adelaide with my good friend Michael Persch and uh, we'll be getting Michael to come back on the program maybe late June, early July to talk about um, uh, an artist that we both love maybe not necessarily that fashionable in Australia anymore but um, we're all about love of music not love of fashion that's for sure uh, but further details as we get closer to time uh, All Time Top 10 with Ben Eisen I was uh, very happy to have Ben on the previous program talking about the album Who's Next by The Who, and uh, he always puts out fine programs. Everyone loves a list type of program, so you should listen to both All Time Top Ten and The List Music Podcast, um, because they're all a whole lot of fun. Soda Joker on songwriting with Simon and Brian. Now, they're taking a little bit of a break. Uh, just for a few weeks, but um, allegedly they're going to be coming back in full force sometime in June 2013, so not far to go now. And, uh, yeah, I'm just a big, big fan of their show. They've got some really incredible songwriters to talk to and always ask intelligent questions. It's, um, yeah, really something wonderful. Their show's going great guns and they should be very proud of it. The Inside Outcast, with Evil Dave and Dr. Brandy's sexy voice. I mean, Really, how could you not love a show with a host called Dr. Brandy's sexy voice? That's that's just fantastic. Love that. And on Facebook, even though this is not a this is not a podcast, I should say, but uh, you should join the Feed My Ears Facebook page. Uh, that's run by uh, John Ross, who's been on the show a couple of times and uh, always worth checking out. Lots of great music discussion on Feed My Ears, as there is on the Love That Album Facebook page. Please feel uh, free to come and join that. Hit me up for uh, a membership, and uh, we'd love to have you on there and speaking about whatever comes to your mind that's music-related. We always have a lot of fun uh, having arguments, having discussions, putting people onto great albums that we enjoy. So please feel free to uh, come and join that. Uh other house keeping items. Uh if you want to send me any feedback, you can email me or send an MP3 voice message to rrrkitchen at yahoo.com.au. You can join the Facebook page, as I mentioned, Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash love that album. You can download the program by going to love that dot or you can search for it love that album in iTunes. Any method that will work for you I wholeheartedly recommend because I want you to listen to the program and please feel free to recommend it to your friends. Another way that you can listen to the show is via the Stitcher app on your Android or uh, Apple phones or whatever communication device it is that you have. I don't know maybe you can get the podcast by a pair of tin cans with a piece of string holding them together. I don't know. Whatever works for you Um, I'd appreciate your company and any feedback. That'd be lovely. All right. Now, I promised I'd uh, give you some information about what's happening on the next program. I'm taking a break. Love that album 45 will have nothing to do with me. Um, I need a little bit of time out just to do some research for the upcoming shows, and I didn't think I had enough time. But I wanted to get an episode out for you listeners out there who um, regularly download Once again, my thanks for doing the regular download thing. So on the next program, we're going to be having two great supporters, two great friends of the show, uh, two of my Shooting the Shit crew. Tim Merrill and Eric Peterson, a.k.a. Eric Reanimator, are going to be talking about punk music, the history of punk, their punk favourites, the development of punk over the years. And really, given that punk is not something that I've followed... In any detail, I mean, I have a cursory knowledge of, you know, the big groups, the important ones, but uh, these guys I really know and they really love their punk music and it'll be a truly educational episode. Lots of great music, uh, lots of great information and facts whenever they're on shooting the shit. Uh, I'm always learning something. They're both absolutely fantastic presenters uh, and really lovely people to boot. So I urge you, support uh, their episode of the show. Uh, As much as you support anything that I do or, you know, hopefully even more so, uh, they'll do do a great show, no doubt. I'm looking forward to hearing what it is that they come up with and I'll be back for episode 46. I've already been warned, you know, that maybe I'd better just watch my back, you know, because if they do too good a job, well, you know, they might take over the show, which might not be a bad thing for you listenership out there, I don't know, but I'd like to come back if that's okay with you guys. But anyway, that'll be uh, episode 45, Uh, Eric and Tim talking about the history and development of punk, and they'll probably throw in a whole lot of great tunes for your consideration and oral edification. So until then, listen to some great music, read great books, watch fantastic films, support the podcasts that I mentioned, and generally go out and be nice to each other. Uh, thanks very much for listening to this episode of Love That Album. And I should just finally point out one more thing, that I don't think I've had an episode this short since the early days of Love That Album. Some of you out there might think that's a good thing. You might be able to listen to this whole episode in one hit in uh, your travels to work or on your travels home from work or while you're watering the garden rather than the usual two, three-hour epics. So um, give me some feedback if uh, you think the short format works. Um, I'll probably ignore that because I just like talking, but, you know, Anyway, I I like the feedback. All right. Anyway, we'll speak to you uh, in a few weeks with, um, well, my next episode will be in a month, but uh, Eric and Tim will be in two weeks, so please tune in for that. And we'll see you soon on Love That Album. Cheers.
0: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football.